Chapter Twenty, Section Three of J. B. Bury's *The Student's Roman Empire*, Part Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. *The Student's Roman Empire*, Part Two, by John Bagnall Bury. Chapter Two. Rebellions in Germany and Judea, sixty-nine to seventy A.D. Section 3. The Revolt of Judea and Destruction of Jerusalem. In regard to the Jews, Claudius followed the policy of Tiberius. Their worship was checked in Italy, but toleration was granted to them in their own land and in the east. Claudius went even further. He gave all the lands which had formed the kingdom of Herod to his friend Herod Agrippa, thus returning, as he loved to do, to the system of Augustus. By this means, direct collision between the Romans and Jews was avoided. Agrippa acted as intermediate. But when he died in 44 AD, his son Agrippa, aged 17 years, was considered too young to take his father's place, and Judea was once more made a province of subordinate rank. From this moment a spirit of hatred and rebellion fermented in Judea. The Jews had not forgotten how Gaius had insisted upon receiving divine hours. They feared that another emperor might do the same, and regarded all Roman emperors as abominable. National sentiment and religious bigotry were inseparable for the Jews, and the fanatics burned to cast off the Roman yoke or die in the attempt. The insurrection did not break out till 66 AD, but it was prepared during twenty-two years. The great fault of the Romans was that, instead of stamping out the elements of opposition, they tried to humour an irreconcilable people and yielded, wherever it was possible, to the prejudices and absurd demands of the Jews. Thus a Roman soldier was executed, because he had torn a roll of the law. Another mistake was that too small a military force was kept in the province and was mainly recruited from the province itself. As for the Jews, they brought their destruction upon themselves. The high priests were worthless and violent, and took advantage of the yielding spirit of their rulers to make most unreasonable demands. During these twenty-two years the Romans were continually trying to suppress the brigands of the hills, whom the Jews called zealots. They combined the spirit of the robber with that of the religious fanatic. Cuspius Fidus, the first procurator under Claudius, routed them out of their strongholds and slew them. But the evil broke out again under his successor Tiberius Alexander, a nephew of the philosopher Philo, and he succeeded in capturing two noted leaders, Jacobus and Simon, son of Judas the Galilean, whom he crucified. There was the constant feud between Galilee and Samaria, and the latter district was subject to the incursions of armed bands of Galilean brigands. This led to a serious collision in the year 52 AD, in which Umidius Quadratus, the governor of Syria, was obliged to interfere. The affair was attributed to the rivalry of the two procurators, Cumanus of Galilee and Felix of Judea and Samaria, and Quadratus having held an investigation punished Cumanus and pleased the Jews by executing a tribune named Sella in Jerusalem. Felix, who was equally to blame, escaped because he was the brother of the powerful freedman Pallas and the husband of Agrippa's sister Drusilla. The troubles continued under Festus and Albinus, the successors of Felix. War against Rome was preached in the streets. Miracles and prophecies were the order of the day. The zealots of the hills were as violent as ever. There was no real grievance. 
it was not the case of an oppressed people rising against oppressors or bondmen struggling for their freedom the war was due to the fanaticism of short-sighted peasants the authority over the temple and its treasures and the nomination of the high priests had been assigned in forty four a d not to the procurator but to herod of chalcis and after his death in forty eight a d had been transferred to his heir agrippa in fifty three a d agrippa had received instead of chalcis the districts of batanea Oranitis, Traconitis, Golanitis, and Abilene, along with the title of king, and two years later he received from Nero Tiberius and Tarachia in Galilee, and Julius in Perea. Agrippa stood by the Romans faithfully throughout the Jewish war. The insurrection broke out under the procurator Gessius Florus, 64 to 66 AD. Caesarea was inhabited by Greeks and Jews possessing the same civil rights, the Jews being the more numerous but under Nero the Greeks disputed the rights of the Jews and appealed to the government at Rome. Burrus decided in favour of the Greeks, and the citizenship was declared to be a privilege which did not belong to the Jews, 62 AD. This decision led to tumults in the town. Finally the Jews left Caesarea, but were compelled by the governor to return, and then slaughtered in a street riot, August 6, 66 AD. In Jerusalem things came to a crisis at the same time, the Jews were divided into two parties, the men of moderation, who, putting their trust in the Lord, were ready to endure Roman rule without resistance, and the men of action, who resolved to found the kingdom of heaven by the sword. The former were the Pharisees, the latter the Zealots, and the power of the Zealots was on the increase. To this party belonged Eleazar, son of the high priest Ananias. He was a young man of upright character, but it has been said of him that his virtues were more dangerous than his father's vices. He was the overseer of the temple, and he forbade those who did not belong to the Jewish faith to present offerings to Jehovah in the outer court, although this had always been permitted by tradition. He refused to listen to the remonstrances of the wiser Jews. The moderate party resolved to make an attempt to put down the fanatics. They asked the Romans and King Agrippa for help, and Agrippa sent some cavalry. But Jerusalem was filled with extreme patriots and desperados known as men of the dagger, who were ready to exterminate supporters of Roman rule. The Roman garrison in the citadel was surprised and cut to pieces. The greater number of the moderates, the soldiers of Agrippa, and some Romans, occupied the king's palace on Zion, but could not maintain their position against overwhelming numbers and capitulated. Free departure was refused to the Romans, but they were assured that their lives would be spared but they were disarmed and cut to pieces. Ananias, the high priest, and other leaders of the moderate party were slain. After the victory a quarrel broke out between Eleazar, who seems to have felt remorse for the perfidy of his followers and his father's death, and Manahem, the most violent of the men of the dagger. It ended in the execution of Manahem. Thus, in Caesarea, the foes of the Jews had slaughtered the Jews. In Jerusalem the Jews had slaughtered their foes, and it was said that both events happened on the same day. Other Greek towns followed the example of Caesarea. The Jews in Damascus, Gadara, Scythopolis, Ascalon were massacred. The bitterness against them broke out too in Alexandria, and the street tumults required the interference of the Roman troops. As soon as Cestius Gallus, the governor of Syria, heard what had happened in Jerusalem, he set forth with his troops to put down the insurgents. 
His army consisted of about 20,000 Roman soldiers and 13,000 auxiliaries from the dependent kingdoms, along with forces of Syrian militia. Having taken Joppa and slain its inhabitants, he marched on Jerusalem and stood before its walls in September. But the strong fortifications defied him, and he was driven back with serious loss. The news of the failure of Gallus reached Nero in Greece, and he appointed Mucianus Legatus of Syria, and assigned to Vespasian the task of quelling the Jewish rebellion as an independent Legatus. The three legions, which had been sent from the Illyric lands to carry on the war with Parthia, were perhaps already returning to their original stations. If so, they were now sent back on account of the rebellion. Two of them, 5th Macedonia and 15th Apollinaris, were given to Vespasian along with one of the Syrian legions, 10 Fratensis. The other additional legion, 4th Scythia, took the place of the 10th in Syria and remained there permanently. In addition to his three legions and their auxilia, Vespasian had large bodies of troops contributed by the dependent kings of Comagene, Emesa, and Nabatea, as well as by Agrippa. The whole army, amounting to more than 50,000 men, was mustered at Ptolemaeus in spring 67 AD and entered Palestine. The entire country, Galilee and Samaria, as well as Judea, was now in the hands of the insurgents, with the exception of the Greek towns. They had taken and destroyed Anthedon and Gaza, but after they had failed at Ascalon, they confined themselves to defensive measures, and did not meet the Romans in the open field. Vespasian's plan was slow but sure. He decided to make no attempt against Jerusalem until he had isolated it by reducing the surrounding districts. The first campaign was occupied with the reduction of Galilee and the coast as far as Ascalon. In this warfare, the historian Josephus played a considerable part. The siege of Jotapata, which he defended, lasted forty-five days. He was a member of the moderate party, but was appointed commander in Galilee. Josephus escaped with his life and found favour with Vespasian, whose client he became, adopting the name Titus Flavius. During the following winter, Vespasian kept two legions at Caesarea, and stationed a third at Scythopolis, so as to cut off communications between Judea and Galilee. In the spring of 68 AD, he proceeded to occupy the regions beyond the Jordan, including the important towns of Gadara and Gerasa. The fugitives, who were driven from their homes by the Roman soldiers, flocked to increase the multitude collected in Jerusalem. Vespasian then took up quarters at Jericho. Samaria was occupied in the north, Idumea in the south, and the legions were about to advance on Jerusalem when the news of Nero's death arrived. Vespasian was not disposed to put himself in a false position by continuing to act as legatus, until his powers should be renewed by Nero's successor. Military operations were therefore suspended, and before Galba could send his commands to Vespasian, winter had approached. The fall of Galba and the struggle between Otho and Vitellius gave the Jews a still longer respite, and when, after the proclamation of Vitellius, Vespasian began to resume operations, his own elevation again interrupted the warfare and it was not till the spring of 70 A.D. that his son Titus marched against Jerusalem to end the miserable episode. Jerusalem, in the meantime, was a scene of wild confusion. The leader of the moderate party had been slain, the zealots reigned supreme and quarrelled and fought among themselves. There were three main parties. 
one headed by Eleazar, son of Simon, and consisting of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, occupied the inner enclosure of the temple. The outer court of the temple was held by John of Giscala and his Galileans. Another party, under Simon, son of Joas of Gerasa, held the upper town, the hill of Zion. But when the Romans came, these factions composed their differences and fought side by side. Eleazar's party placed itself under John, and thus the rivalry was narrowed to two competitors, Simon in the city and John in the temple. Titus might have blockaded the city and starved the inhabitants out, but he wished to inaugurate the new Flavian dynasty and make his own reputation by a brilliant exploit. Jerusalem was defended on all sides by impregnable rocks except on the north, on which side it had been attacked by the Assyrians, and more recently by Pompeius. Herod Agrippa had attempted to strengthen the fortifications on this accessible side, but the Romans had prevented him. The walls which he had planned were hastily raised under the direction of the Sanhedrin during the insurrection. The task of Titus was not an easy one. When he had stormed the outer wall and penetrated into the new city, a second wall met him which he had to pass before he could reach the lower city on the hill of Acre. Then he had to storm the temple, surrounded by an inner and an outer wall, and the adjoining citadel, called Antonia. The strong defences of Zion, on which the upper city was built, and the palace of Herod still remained. The forces of Titus had been increased by another legion from Syria, twelfth Fulminata. The first wall resisted for a long time all the attempts of the assailants, but at length fell beneath the battering ram. Many of the besieged would then have been willing to submit, in fear of the famine which threatened them, and the Roman general sent Josephus to the wall to offer honourable terms. But the chiefs would not hear of surrender. Then Titus drew a wall of circumvallation around the city, and cut off all external supplies from the inhabitants, while they continued their attacks on the second wall. The sufferings of the Jews from famine became terrible. A woman was known to kill her child for food. At this time a half-witted fanatic, Joshua the son of Hanan, went about the public places shouting, A voice of ruin from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, and, Woe to Jerusalem! None dared to hinder or punish him. One day he uttered a new cry, Woe to me also! And at the same moment he was killed by a stone from a catapult of the besiegers. All sorts of portents were said to have occurred. The doors of the temple burst open, and a voice more than human cried, Let us depart hence! And a great sound of departure was heard. At last, at the end of three months, the second wall was passed, and the citadel Antonia taken. This castle, close to the temple and overlooking it, was destroyed by the Romans except one wing which was left standing as a watchtower. Titus then allowed considerable numbers of the population to leave the town, but the zealots remained deaf to the expostulations of Josephus and the admonitions of the Jews who had been taken captive in the lower city. They refused to spare the temple by timely submission to the besiegers. They carried on the work of defence with no regard to the sacred character of the place, and even desecrated the Holy of Holies by their presence. For a long time they baffled the assaults of the Romans, but the defence of the outer temple wall gradually relaxed, and at length the burning missiles of the assailants set fire to the northern portion. The two leaders, 
John of Giscala and Simon, son of Joris, with some of their followers, escaped by the connecting causeway which they broke down behind them into the upper city. But the multitude and the priests stood firm in the inner enclosure. The Romans with difficulty passed the outer wall, making a path for themselves with the help of fire, which soon spread and consumed the royal porch of Herod. Many of the Jews perished in the flames, the rest were cut down in a final struggle. The temple and its treasures were burned to the ground, August. The chiefs still lay behind the defences of the upper city, hopeless yet resolved not to yield. But a discord raged among the garrison of the last stronghold, and a large number of Jews gave themselves up to the Romans. The rest were reduced by famine, and the chiefs at last abandoned the defence of the rampart, and sought refuge in the subterranean passages with which the hill was honeycombed, and by which they hoped to reach the valleys beyond. The Romans then entered and slew, plundered, and burned, September the 2nd. The siege had lasted over five months, but at length Jerusalem was laid in ruins. Simon and John, unable to escape in the underground galleries, and pressed by hunger, came forth from their holes and surrendered. The life of John was spared, but Simon was reserved for the triumph and put to death afterwards. Those of the insurgents who escaped held out for years in the rock fortresses of Masada and Machaerus, near the Dead Sea. The captives were put to death or sold into slavery. Many died from starvation, refusing to accept food from their warders. Although Vespasian and Titus disdained to add to their names the title of Judaicus, drawn from a people whom they despised, they did not omit to celebrate a triumph in honour of the victory, and an arch was erected by the Senate to Titus after his death on which may still be seen a sculpture of the golden candlestick with seven branches, which was rescued from the sanctuary of the temple. Another arch was erected during his lifetime in the circus, and the dedication celebrates his capture of Jerusalem, which all leaders, kings, and nations before him had either attacked in vain or left wholly unattempted. The statement is ludicrously false, and if we can excuse the Senate for ignorance of the Assyrian siege, or even of that of Antiochus Epiphanes, we cannot understand their ignoring Pompeius. The demolition of Jerusalem, which lay in ruins as Carthage and Corinth had once lain, deprived the Jewish nation of a centre. The high priesthood and the Sanhedrin were abolished, and the Israelites were left without a head. The yearly tribute which every Jew, wherever he dwelled, used to send to the temple, was now, by a sort of bitter parody, to be sent to the temple of Capitoline Jupiter. It is a disputed question whether Titus really wished to destroy the temple with all its wonders, or whether its destruction was an accident which he deplored. It seems on the whole more likely that its destruction was part of the political scheme which the Roman government had devised to settle the petty but troublesome Jewish question once for all. It should be taken in connection with the fact that Vespasian at the same time closed the temple of Onias near Memphis in Egypt, the chief sanctuary of the Egyptian Jews. The conflagration was a matter for praise to the Roman poet Valerius Flaccus, who in the invocation of his Argonautics celebrates Titus for scattering the torches in Solima. Solimic nigrantum pulvere fratum. Spargentemque faces et in omni ture furentum. Judea became a province of the empire, and the camp of the 10th legion, footnote, the 12th legion was sent to Cappadocia, the 5th and 15th back to their quarters in Moesia and Pannonia, respectively. End of footnote, which was left as its garrison, was pitched on the ruins of the fallen capital.
Henceforward the troops levied in Judea were employed elsewhere. A settlement of Roman veterans was made at Emmaus. In Samaria, the chief town Sichem was organized under the name Flavia Neapolis, as a Greek city. On the other hand, Caesarea, hitherto a Greek city, was made a Flavian colonia of the Roman type. King Agrippa, who had supported the Romans loyally, retained his possessions as long as he lived, but on his death about thirty years later, his kingdom was incorporated in the province of Syria. End of chapter 20, section 3